0: So those are the two things that we're going to take a look at. Number one, something that I was thinking about is, is number one, for the person who is deserving and worthy of either one of these, um, really, um, we all fall short. Sometimes um, what I come across in ministry um, is, you know, the reason, given why some people don't want to serve is because they don't feel worthy, um, they don 't feel like uh, they're they're like in that place to where I mean, who am I to serve and and really that's if it's genuine humility, that's great, right? But sometimes that could be used, you know, and it's false humility and and it's it's not re- really the reason why, right. It's, uh, it's more of an excuse or to justify why it is that people don't serve. Um, but I just want to let you know that if you think you're deserving of serving the Lord, think again. Not one person actually deserves, has earned that place with the Lord to where you can serve Him in any capacity. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we continue to fall short of the glory of God this side of heaven, we, we will. We fall short. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have standards that we aren't to uphold and and we aren't to pursue and, uh, and, and really desire to serve the Lord in a way that's glorifying Him, to live lives that are filled with integrity and honor unto the Lord. That's not to say that. But what we need to understand is that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? And it's amazing to me, if you talk to um, any number of pastors, if they thought from an early age that they thought that they were going to be doing what they're doing, as far as I'm talking about like preaching, teaching, um, you know, being in that place uh, before the church, and I I could tell you the majority of them would say, no, I never... Dreamed of? No. Uh, Even desired? No. But the Lord has an amazing way of bringing people around to do things that they never thought they'd do. Go on mission trips. Um, Give a devotion even. Pray. You know, some people are, are scared to death to simply pray before just a few people. But if we're willing, if we're available and we're willing and we, we seek to please the Lord, then as we submit to him, he uses us in some pretty wonderful ways. All to his glory and not to ours. And so that's what we're going to see this evening. This is, by the way, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at this chapter, this Nazarite vow, this, this vow of, of uh, willingly uh, giving yourself, separating yourself from the world and unto the Lord, it, it's something that parallels what we will see at kind of at the conclusion of this section, Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two in the New Testament. It's a very thing that we've been called to do and other verses that we're going to touch on as we go through. So just keep that. Keep that in your minds. I hope you understand that, that God wishes to use each and every one of you. It's not any like specific person, but you personally and intimately the lord wishes to pour into you so that you would pour into others in special ways and so let's pray and we'll get into our chapter father we thank you lord that it's all you as we submit to you as we allow you to work in our lives your holy spirit moves father and um and you receive all the glory i pray father that we would see this evening exactly what you would have for us to see, for us to understand, for us to apply to our lives, that this Old Testament teaching would not be something that is left in the Old Testament and at that time, Father, that it would be applied today, that we would be encouraged by it. That we would come to understand that this is a voluntary thing that even they would commit to in that day, both men and women. And so, Father, we... uh, I want to commit this evening into your hands, Lord, this this teaching, Lord. May it be your Holy Spirit that teaches. Thank you, Father. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so set apart and blessed. Let's first take a look at the purpose and requirements. That's covered in the first eight verses of Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor, shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair, of his head, grow long. Verse 6. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister, if they die. Shall he make himself unclean? Because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So, Nazarite—the word itself comes from the Hebrew word "nazir," which means consecrated or separated. It's interesting. It's an interesting vow. I, I was—I was thinking about this as I, I was going through, and just uh, the reason why it's interesting to me is because aren't the Israelites themselves? A separated people unto the Lord. They are, aren't they? And it's by God's choosing. These are the people that he has chosen. But then it dawned on me that there are people today that you could say could do the same thing in a way. By taking their relationship with the Lord, you could say, quote, to another level. You know, to another place. Being consecrated being separated a little more you could say unto him unto the lord in serve in service in various ways you could say a pastor would be one you would expect for that person to be completely set aside unto the lord by the way it does say in the word that we're held to a higher standard that means uh, it's, it's it's a stricter standard if you're teaching the word surely we you should Expect for the pastor to be following the word. Right? I hope so. Absolutely. Well, how about an elder? Yeah? How about a deacon? Ministry leader? Or how about in just various places of service within the church? Children's ministry teacher? An usher? Yeah. All those places, right? But of course, we we do see the pastor and elder or deacon. We see ministry leaders and they're they're, they're leading the way, right? And they should be those people who have committed to not only serving the Lord. Because if we're serving man, then we see it as a duty. Like, oh, I have to do these things. And I hope, in a way, I'm checking off the box and, you know, pleasing the Lord. But it shouldn't be out of duty, it should be out of a a joyful desire, you know, unto the Lord. That we're serving the Lord, and we're submitting to Him, ultimately, as we serve other people. The way dedicated people live unto the Lord is important. It must match the vow it must match the commitment, the promise that one has made unto the Lord. It has to be fulfilled, just as it was promised, just as it was vowed. These are all words that are interchangeable, by the way. A promise, a vow, a personal consecration unto the Lord. You, you have given your word before the Lord. So they're all the same. They're interchangeable. So you should follow through with what you've promised, what you've committed to. James 5.12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. There are several Nazarites that are noted in the Bible. You remember Samson? A Nazarite. Judges 13.5. John the Baptist? A Nazarite. Luke one fifteen, And how about the Apostle Paul? Acts 18.18 18 refers to that. We also have Samuel. His mother was Hannah. It's covered in 1 Samuel. Now, there are three mothers that I just listed here outside of Paul. So, there's Samuel, there's John the Baptist, and of course, there's Samson, whose mothers were considered to be barren. In other words, they, they couldn't have children. They were advanced in years. And... They were barren up to the time of conception. Each one, if you look up scripture and read about them, uh, they themselves were either given um, that place to where from the womb, they knew that their children were going to be Nazarites, completely consecrated and set aside to the Lord. And by the way, it's implied because in Numbers chapter 6, It has to be something that's willingly uh, received and followed through with. It's implied that Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist were all uh, willing and agreed with the vow that was initially taken by the mom. Who doesn't want their children to be consecrated unto the Lord? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I say that often, but it's true. But this is, again, that special place of consecration that we are given to, unto the Lord. So they agreed. They had to agree to the requirements that are listed here in Numbers chapter 6. The only woman that came close to, uh, that we see in the Bible, um, to making a Nazarite vow would be Manoah's wife, which is Samson's mom. In Judges chapter 13, verse 4. But I say, I say came close because what we see there in that verse is somewhat of a modified vow. And then we lead into verse 5 that led to Samson's call to the Nazarite vow by God. It says, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And so God may have a calling for us from the womb, from The beginning of our lives and beforehand. But we still have to agree with God and receive that calling. Because remember that we could quench the Holy Spirit. We could deny, we could neglect to follow through with the very calling that we have on our lives. And sometimes we have pretty specific callings. There was a special setting apart by God for his purposes... And special plans for Samson. It says, And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So that's pretty specific, isn't it? In a specific time. And those are specific words used by God to set aside this man to do this special work. So the purpose of the Nazarite vow was to voluntarily express one's desire. And, and that's what God desires. God desired it then. He desires it today. A Nazarite vow was a voluntary expression of one's desire to draw near to the Lord uniquely and in service to Him. And as we see, it was also an agreeing with God to separate oneself to fulfill a specific calling that God had on one's life. For example, Samson, John the Baptist, they had specific callings in their lives. The word... Separate or a version of it, separate, separated, Uh, separation appears 12 times in this chapter. Um, That's not including uh, consecrate or consecrated or even Nazarite, which means consecrated or separated. All of those appear multiple times throughout this chapter. So there's absolutely no doubt. It's super clear that this is a special separation that is not common to the rest of Israel. Now God's people are a separated people unto the Lord, but this is this is a special calling on individuals, and in they are to take these vows. I believe it's in if it's in obedience to the Lord as He places that calling to serve God and draw close to Him in a unique unique way. Now let's take a look at the requirements, the standards as we read through verses three through eight. Lists them all out. A Nazarite that vowed made this promise unto the Lord to be consecrated unto him, promised to refrain, coming alongside the commandment and agreeing to refrain from these certain things. He is prohibited by God's command from drinking wine or strong drink. Now, there's this debate as far as what wine is and what strong drink was. And was it fermented? Was it unfermented? Well, I think the Lord simplifies it. It's everything from the vine, it's out. I like that because sometimes, and especially today, um, for some reason, cigars and drinking is something that is like out there. Maybe the Christian can do it, not do it. You know, should they do it? Is it a sin to do it? Does the Bible really say that we are prohibited from doing these things? Well, I can give you a, a, a really good reason why not to partake in these things. And there's studies that show it's good, no, it's bad. It's good, no, it's bad. You, you can like, go through all kinds of studies, right? But I'd rather steer away from making one person stumble. I know personally, in my life, drinking as I've experienced that that side of it, um, was not something that was positive in my life. I thought it was positive. I thought, you know, celebrating with my family and all that, but I'll tell you what, it led to so many things. In fact, a DUI. It led to that. Being behind bars for a night, being picked up by my chief. Oh yeah, it was really fun. And then um, other things, you know, saying things and doing things that, you know, I... My ambitions were lowered, and I'd say and do things that I wouldn't normally do. I think um, we should follow the Bible where it says we ought to be sober-minded, we ought to be watchful, because the devil, our enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We can't do it if we're not clear in the way we're thinking. It's hard enough, don't you think? When we are clear-minded, and we have certain things come at us, it's difficult enough. But for this person who is supposed to be separated, especially unto the Lord, he says, Hey, nothing from the vine. Not even a seed. Not even the, the covering on a grape. Just don't touch it. None of it. The Nazarite vowed to also not get a haircut, not even a trim until the day in which the vow was completed. So what we see here is socially, outwardly, that means publicly, this demonstrated that this man was uniquely set aside unto the Lord. It was an obvious public declaration. Again, today, oftentimes we have this line that we're blurring. We want to toe the line of the world and still call ourselves Christians. And we can't differentiate between one or the other sometimes. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Again, God has called us to be a holy and separate people. Unto him. And so, whether it's the hair for a Nazarite, whether it's uh, drinking uh, wine or a vodka or whatever it is, it, it ought not be a part of a believer's life at all. The Nazarite also vowed not to go near any dead body. And this included immediate family. Father, mother, uh, brother, sister, it included all of the above. You see, death is the effect of sin, and it was essential for the man to separate himself from this, even if it was his immediate family members that had died during the time of the vow. For this, the Lord made it very clear that as Jesus came, there would be certain things that would take place within a family. And I can see it in my own life that there's been this this line to not cross. I I have blood family, and I love my blood family, but I had to be willing to separate myself from some of my family members that I that I deeply love. Why? Because I couldn't be a part of the the death and the things that were going on within those sometimes those gatherings. Um, the things that they were participating in, I I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't hang out with them anymore. Would we be willing to do that? It's hard, and I know it's hard. But it's it's something that God calls us to. If we hold anything above Him, it's it's idolatry. It's we're worshiping that person or that thing or things, those ideas above Him, and that shouldn't be. Nothing really should take His place. And it's amazing how it is that sometimes, you know, some family. They see that you're genuine. They see over the long haul that you truly love the Lord, that you really had nothing against them. It wasn't anything that that you came to hate them with. In fact, you loved them so much that you weren't willing to, to participate in that and encourage them in that. And at some point, you're hoping that they would turn around and come and, and ask you, talk to you, or even rejoice with you because they have themselves surrendered to the Lord and can cry out to the Lord, just right along with you, and, and celebrate and, and worship him together, knowing that you yourself are a follower of Christ. For the Nazarite, this prohibition to go near a dead body was more directly applicable to being ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And therefore, what would happen is that their vow would be made null and void at the time of coming near to a dead body, or even worse, coming in contact with that dead body. We're going to go over that in verses 9 through 12. So what we've seen so far is the purpose and requirements to strictly keep during the term of the Nazarite vow. All right, let's talk about a broken vow. Verse 9, as we continue, and if any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation and bring a male lamb, a year old for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void because his separation was defiled. A broken vow. So, even if the person who made the vow broke it unintentionally, I mean, who would have thunk, right? Here, you know... This person was sitting next to me and they they died. Yeah, he's considered to be to, to having broken the vow. And at that point he's required to go through this process, this this process of being becoming ceremonially clean again. So He has to shave his head, provide the sacrifices required to make one ceremonially clean, and start all over again. That's what's listed there and what we've covered previously. There are historical records in the Mishnah that document people who had almost completed their vow and had to start all over. Can you imagine doing this? Going through years of adhering to the Nazarite vow. And at the very last moment, it's like, oh, I can see it. You know, I'm like one, one week out, and I'm, I'm completed. I've fulfilled my vow to the Lord. And then something happens. And, hey, everything that's happened up to that point is you have to start all over. Completely over. Now... That's something that we need to understand also, that for us, as God commands, and we know that death is is a consequence of sin, and those things, sometimes we stumble into those things, things that we don't intend, but they happen. We fall into them. God doesn't say, I'm done with you. You broke the vow, and you are now condemned. He doesn't say that. He says, listen, there is a way to be ceremonially clean before me again. You have to not argue with me, but agree with my word. You've broken that, my command. And then what we see here is something illustrated that Jesus Christ has already done for us. You see, in John chapter 1, verse 9, the Lord makes it very clear. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means that's where where Jesus, where he demonstrated to his disciples, he got them and he washed their feet. The whole person is clean. But there's a necessary washing that, that takes place as we come to the Lord and we ask him for forgiveness. He says, hey, get back on the road. And that's how it is. For the Nazarite, he wasn't done. It wasn't over. Are you agreeing that this was a violation of the command that I gave you? Yes. All right. You got to go through this process. And then you keep going and you keep serving me for the time that you have committed to. Now, all of these things, as far as death, as far as refraining from. Anything that comes from the vine, cutting the hair, this was a vow that was not to be taken lightly, not something that should be approached in a flippant manner. A promise made to God is to be followed through with in its entirety. It's better not to make a vow, but if you do, then you are to follow through with it immediately. Ecclesiastes chapter five verses four through six says, "When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you into, or let not your mouth <laughs> lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So you make a vow. And really, it, it doesn't do you any good to later say, ah, you know what, we hear it all the time now, I misspoke, right? I, I didn't really mean what I said. Well, no, you, you, you said it. <laughs> you made that promise. And what we see here is that follow through with that. You know, if, if your mouth made the vow, then you got to follow it. You got to be a man or a woman of your word. So follow through and complete that commitment, that promise to the Lord. And it's in service to him, being set apart unto him. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So it's very clear, right? Very clear. You've got to follow through. You've got to walk it out. You've got to complete it. And when the vow is complete, this is what's required to conclude it. We see in verses 13 through 21. And this is the law for the Nazarite. When the time of his separation has been completed, he shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall bring his gift to the Lord. One male lamb, a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a sin offering, And one ram without blemish as a peace offering and the basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil and their grain offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled in one unleavened loaf out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved the hair of his consecration. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Verse 21. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do an addition to the law of the Nazarite. So this is concluding the Nazarite vow. Notice in verse 14 that it says that these sacrifices were considered to be gifts to the Lord. You see, a Nazarite vow, as we see here, was something that was very costly. It cost the person greatly in many ways. And again, it was not something that could be entered into lightly in a flippant manner. It it was the whole thing from start to finish was really a gift unto the Lord, coming in obedience to that which he has set on our hearts to completely give ourselves unto his service. The Nazarite was brought before the tent of meeting. Before the tabernacle, it was therefore a public ceremony of sacrifice unto the Lord. And we need to keep in mind that this was unto the Lord, before the Lord, and unto the Lord, through and through. This, all of the sacrifices here that we read through included a sin offering, a burnt offering, a peace offering, a thanksgiving offering, and even a fellowship offering. We see all of those listed in all of those sacrifices. And it's it's a beautiful thing. It's, It's one of those things to where if you go back and look at the sacrifices that were covered in the previous book in Leviticus, you see them all here. It's all there. His hair. That which he had Vow to not touch for the time of his vow was the very thing that he also shaved and offered as a peace offering. Kind of, it's one of those things to where it <clears throat> it includes everything that you had done during the time that you set yourself aside unto the Lord for his service. It's like, Lord, all of this is unto you it 's a peace offering. It, it's not for me to carry on, for people to look at and say, oh, you took that Nazarite vow. You, you are so good. It's amazing. You know, it's nothing that people should look at and, and, and glorify you. It's all to the Lord. And so it was given as a peace offering. All of this, by the way, would be a bare minimum. Although it was very costly, it was a bare minimum. But if the person desired to make an additional vow of offering more to the Lord Then he could, but he would need to follow through with that additional vow of offering. Like if someone would say, well, I'm going to do this and some more at the very beginning of committing to the Lord in this Nazarite vow, then he would have to follow through with that and make sure that he certainly sacrifices all of that to the Lord. Reminds me of Ananias and Sapphira. How it is that they said one thing but did another. You know, it made it look like they were doing the other, you know, like they were they had sold it and given everything to the Lord when that wasn't the truth, right? They lied to the Holy Spirit. You gotta follow through with everything that you commit to in the Lord. Now, again, I remind you that this Nazarite vow is an old testament command, but Again, there is a New Testament parallel that is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I had noted that at the very beginning, and I want to read it to you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, being sober minded, being clear minded of those things which pertain to, to life in godliness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But this is only possible if you yourself have surrendered and submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ to be these sacrifices that aren't willingly getting down off the altar when it's um, convenient for us to do so. We need to stay on the altar. We need to continue to be separated unto Him. For the New Testament Christians, the ancient Nazarite vow symbolizes the need to be separate from this world, a holy people who are consecrated unto God. Something just practical, And it's something that is before us all the time. And I find myself being aware of this more and more. And that is social media. Social media can so absorb you to the point to where you find yourself in arguments that you wouldn't normally get into. um, Trying to make a point to people who all they want to do is argue. And they can hide behind either... um, uh, screen name or you know miles <laughs> and it's acceptable and I tell you that's why you know I, what do they call those people that just kind of go through and they see things and they don't comment uh, troll Is no is that not something like that right no an observer <laughs> a quiet observer <laughs> I find myself being one of those more and more it's like I, I'll just look through I'll just browse through real quick I'll like a couple things, and I'll pop back out. and and Because it's hard. It's hard to remain separate when you intertwine yourself with the world so much, and you become consumed with it. And I'm just telling you this because I myself have found myself at times just like being overwhelmed with what's going on out there. To know it and to be all in it are two different things. You guys understand what I'm saying? Remember, we are to be separate unto the Lord. Remember that we are to be lights. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to even give him the other cheek. Walk an extra mile. Some of these things really define us as Christians. Separate unto the Lord. You know, to be a people who are willing to, um, you know, love on our enemies and pray for those who are persecuting us. That, that is not normal. That is not our natural inclination. So God called us to be holy, to be separate unto Him. Second Timothy one: nine says, "Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, speaking of Jesus, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the, the ages began. First Peter chapter one, verse fifteen says, "But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So, you know. In a way, in Christ, we have taken the Nazarite vow. (laughs) We have committed to following the Lord. We are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. That, That means denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Him. Not others, not the world, not anything else. And I know sometimes it takes like hearing these things over and over and over again. And like the Lord is is doing this wonderful work of sanctification in our lives. And it's at the point that we're ready to hear, that we're willing to listen, that we hear something like this and, and we realize we haven't been following through with our commitment to the Lord. We haven't been maybe personally demonstrating to the Lord our love for him because he tells us, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And we should do so in a willing, willing way, in a, in a way that's joyful and uh, it's a desire that the Lord has placed in our hearts and we follow through with that all by the power of the Holy Spirit because he's called us to be holy. He's called us to be set apart unto him, to be holy in all our conduct. We come to the Aaronic blessing. Verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus shall uh, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a special benediction, a special blessing of the Lord. This was um, a blessing that was commanded by God to bless his people. Like I said before, Moses, Aaron, all of their successors, the, the priests that prayed over the people who led these, uh, these services and the sacrifice unto the Lord they were to bless the people with these specific words. They were a special blessing over God's people. We know that they would pray this at the close of daily morning services in the tabernacle, when the temple was built in the temple, and also in the synagogue. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Free prayer is most useful, and it would ordinarily consort best with the movements of the free spirit. But in the case of the benediction, it is well that it was dictated to the man of God. The children of Israel might miss blessing through the ignorance or forgetfulness or unbelief of Aaron, and therefore it was not left to him. But he had to learn by heart each word and sentence. In this wise and in no other was he to bless the people. I like this, for if God himself puts the very words into the mouth of his priest, then they are God's words. Close quote. These are his very words. That's why it's so special. This isn't normal. This isn't um, something. This is something that's unusual to get this scripted prayer that the Lord said, pray this. This is a blessing over my people. These are the words that I want you to speak over the people. That's very special. These are exact words. It is his blessing and it cannot be said any other way. No other way. He starts out by saying, the Lord bless you. It's God's desire to bless his people. And it's God's desire that those who serve him desire that for his people, for his people to be blessed. Like if... If there is uh, someone who is called to serve him, does not desire for the people to be blessed, then he's in the wrong place. In the wrong place. This is the way that each time that they gather together corporately, they would end. This should always be at the forefront of our minds. That the Lord, when all is said and done, he wishes to bless us. Whether we think that we deserve it or not, Whether we're worthy or not, it doesn't matter. We are his people, and he wishes to bless us. God's blessing is always what we desire most, don't we? Don't we desire his, we want his blessings. We want everything that you have, Lord. Because to go about life in any other way is, I would think, would be vain. It would be futile. It would not be worth anything, really. To go through life and really not experience anything of God at all. Not to know Him. God's blessing always has our best interest at heart. By the way, God's blessing isn't always what we expect. So there's, I had to throw that in there because that's the reality of things. That's the way things are. But we need to trust in Him. We need to have faith in Him. in Him. Knowing that... He knows perfectly that what we need is much greater than sometimes we expect, or sometimes even that we demand. And then we see here how it is that it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. To be kept is to be held close, to enjoy an intimate relationship by God's grace and in His care, in His embrace. It's to be kept in His love and by His love, by grace. You see, too many people are kept by other things, by idolatry, even by certain things as anger and greed and selfish desires, jealousy. In other words, that's what they kind of go to, they resort to. Bitterness and other things. Instead of resting in the love of God, in His grace. Oh, how it is that love covers a multitude of sins. We should remember that. We should constantly just run back to him. It's amazing how things can get worked out if we just continue to fall back on him and be kept by him. May we never run out of the embrace of the Lord to something that doesn't come close to comparing to the riches we have in him. Everything else is empty. Now, what does it mean for the Lord to make his face to shine upon you? Well, how about to have a parent's face shine upon you? Your mom, your dad. To see that countenance of approval. To be happy and well-pleased with you. I remember that as a kid. You know, even still today with my mom, to, to hear that voice of approval is pretty cool. It's to have that parent's Face, face shine on me. Well, what about with God? Is it because he's happy with what you've done or not done? How you've performed? Any of those things? No, not at all. It's not because of what you've done or not done. It isn't because of pride, this pride that wells up inside of God's heart, and he gets to the point to where his, his face just shines upon you. not because of how great you are or how good you've been it's simply because of your faith in him new testament times it's because of our faith in jesus christ and when god sees us his face shines upon us because he sees christ's righteousness covering us we're saved by grace through faith in christ jesus our lord What kind of emotions do you remember when your parents looked with you or looked towards you with approval and love? Did you feel a calmness? Did you feel reassured? Did you feel a peace? How about today? Do you have that with God? Do you... Have you come to that place to where you experience that with God when you you know that you've received it? You possess that. You know that God's face is shining upon you not because of what you're doing or not doing to please Him by your your works, but that is basically uh, a reflection of your faith in Him. That's all it is. And His face shines upon you simply because you've trusted in Jesus Christ and you believe that He is the Son of God, that He died for your sins. Because that's whose faces, God's face, shines upon. How about grace? We see grace here that it's listed. This is knowing God's mercy. It's knowing his personal care and his desire to do so. And this idea continues in how the blessing is that God would lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This means that God pays attention to you. He inclines his ear to you. He's interested in what you say, what you think, and what you do. That is pretty amazing. Who is man that you are mindful of him? That that is, that to me is, is just off the charts, amazing you would consider man. But you, each and every one of you, amazingly has his undivided attention. Why? Because you're his in Christ Jesus. And what we come to know in Christ is God's abundant life. As it was promised to us, and it's desired by God, Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It's an abundant life in Christ. Trusting in him, leaning in him, Allowing Him to to keep us close to Him. For us not jumping out of His embrace, but enjoying that close, intimate relationship with Him. Regardless of the circumstances in life, we are made whole in Christ. We know His goodness. We know His righteousness. So this is the Lord's blessing on His people. Even though we don't deserve it, God desires to bless each and every one of us. So verse 27 says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see, we have to receive this, this blessing by faith. After all, it's God's blessing. We just, we just receive it. Okay, fine. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But you wish, Lord, to, to bless me, to bless us, your people, that we would be a people that reflect your glory? That we are, it's funny because this comes right after the Nazarite vow. To be a people who are separated unto you. Willing to walk separate from the world and just bless you in how we live our lives. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, The Lord has blessed his people and he would have them know it. He has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it is his wish that they should experience the fullness of this blessedness or any of the Lord's people without a sense of this blessing. It is not the will of God that you should continue in this low condition. Close quote. Um, I certainly pray as it's the Lord's desire that each one of you would be a people who walk separate from the world. That although we're in the world, we're not of the world. That we're a people who take our, our commands, our, our lead from the Lord, His Word. And by His Spirit, He'll make us understand this, these words to bless Him. I pray that we are a people who are willing to receive, even though we've experienced all kinds of things in our lives. I know some have been more difficult to experience than others. I mean, I just met with I've I've met with, I, I've just met with, and I've met with, m- unfortunately, many couples that have lost their babies. And I can tell you, it's a, it's the same thing. It's asking why. What? Why did this happen? Here's another cra- question: Why did God allow this? Why did God allow this? In in uh, many of the parents will say this. This is the hardest thing that I have ever experienced in my life. The hardest thing. And to that, I can't tell them that I personally know that. But I do know someone that holds all things in his hands and all, each and every one of us. And to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. To these little ones, they're innocent. And so we know that this child is in the presence of the Lord. And so it's beautiful to know and it's reassuring to know that the one that we don't know his thoughts, we don't know sometimes why it is that he does what he does, is there to give us comfort and to be our strength and to be our peace at even times like these and help us through. That even in those times, we are willing To receive God's blessings. And know that he is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He loves us with with an everlasting love. And he said these words. Which I want to close with. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, it's in this manner that you commanded Aaron and all the successors. Even now I'm thinking of our great high priest Jesus who wishes and desires this to be the very thing that your people receive for themselves. That that your name would be put upon your people and bless them. And so, Father, we thank you. We do receive that blessing. We thank you, Father, for all these things that you desire for us, to love us, to keep us, to have your face to shine upon us. We simply ask that you would help us to walk in the Spirit, to draw close to you, Lord, to be in the world, but not of the world. We can only do it by your strength and not our own. That regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we we would stay faithful to you. And so, Lord, we cry out to you for your help. At the same time, we rejoice because we are yours and you are ours in Christ Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.